Our scripture reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 58. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this, this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you, Aaron, for reading God's word for us. Um, as Aaron mentioned, my name is Paul uh, Brandis. I have the deep honor and privilege of serving the Brookside campus of Christ Community as your associate pastor. Uh, we are six weeks into our fearless leader, uh, Bill, his, our campus pastor, his sabbatical, and we have made it halfway. Yes, we made it. We can do this if we stick together. We can do this if we stick together. Um, in all seriousness, uh, we are grateful that Bill and Rachel get to uh, take this uh, this time away, um, this time of recharge and rest and relaxation. And you all have been incredibly and especially gracious with us, the staff, as we try to hold down the fort in their absence. Um, I want to add my welcome this morning to, to Aaron's, especially if you're new here or new-ish here. We are so grateful that you have uh, decided to be with us this morning. And, and I would like to pray, uh, to ask for God uh, to help me and to help us to understand properly his word as we open it this morning. Would you bow your head with me? Our Lord and our God, now as we hear your word, fill us with your spirit. Soften our hearts that we might delight in your presence. Sharpen our minds that we may discern your truth. Shape our wills that we may desire your ways through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Death is the worst, isn't it? I can vividly remember where I was every single time I found out that someone that was close to me had passed away. And I'm sure that many of you, all of you, probably could tell the same story this morning. Most recently, my grandmother on my mom's side of my family passed away. And I've mentioned my nana in sermons before. She lived with my family while I was growing up for over 10 years, so we were especially close. I have fond memories of playing this silly card game with her, Skippo, uh, while watching the Cubs lose. She's why I'm a Cubs fan, and uh, I have these fond memories of her. And then one day earlier this year, she was just gone. 
I was sitting in Black Dog Coffee Shop in Lenexa, Kansas when the phone call came from my dad. What are you even supposed to say when you get news like that? You know, nobody really knows the answer to that question. And I'm convinced that nobody really knows the answer to that question because there is something that is built inside every single one of us. That when confronted with death, it screams out, it ought not be this way. It ought not be this way. But it is that way, isn't it? Death comes, and then it's the end. Or is it? Could it be that the end is only the beginning? Yeah, that's what I believe that Paul is saying and arguing and presenting in this passage today. And it's our big idea. I don't want you to miss this. The end is only the beginning. Now, I know that some of you are probably thinking, okay, here it comes. The pie in the sky message, right? It's too good to be true. And you may just think that I'm a, a pastor that's going to try to console a room full of dying people, which is every single one of us. And we're certainly not the first people to question this. The end is only the beginning, really. There's life after death. There's something after what ends. It's hard to believe no matter what century you live in. Even the church in Corinth was struggling deeply with these questions. And that's why Paul penned this glorious chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. And I know, why, why should we take Paul's word for it? I mean, after all, what does he know? He wrote this letter while he was still alive, so what does he know about what comes after death? But here's what gets me with Paul. He hated Jesus. It wasn't just that he didn't believe in him, but he despised everyone who did believe in him. He tried to kill them. But then, on the road to Damascus, on the road to kill Christians, on the road to kill those who did believe in Jesus, Paul encountered Jesus, the only person in history who has defeated death. And for Paul, that changed everything. It changed everything to the point that he actually ended up giving his life, trying to spread Jesus' message that the end is only the beginning. And yes, Paul could have been mistaken, right? He could have been. But that claim, the claim that there is life after death, that claim is so good and so amazing that it would be foolish for us not to really consider it. So that's what we're going to do. The end, as final and scary and as unknown as it might be, the end is only the beginning. Okay, but how'd we get here, right? We must have skipped some stuff. Because a couple weeks ago, we were in 1 Corinthians 14. Now we're in the end of 15. Well, back in 1 Corinthians 11, when Bill was, uh, before he went on sabbatical, he covered the end of 1 Corinthians 14 uh, when we talked about uh, head covering, which is not a subject that I want to return to. <laughs> and then earlier this year, on Easter, we covered the first half of 1 Corinthians 15. So that's how we got here. We didn't skip a bunch of stuff. We just did it a little bit out of order, and here we are, the final eight verses of 1 Corinthians 15. 
The whole of this chapter, actually, 1 Corinthians 15, is about the topic of resurrection. The first half, which again we covered on Easter, is about Jesus' resurrection. And the second half of the chapter is about our upcoming resurrections. And that order is very important because, you see, our hope is based on whether or not Jesus actually rose from the dead. If he didn't, basically what Paul says earlier in this chapter is all of this is a joke. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then all of this is a joke. But if he did come back to life, if he did defeat death, then what Paul says is this. The end is only the beginning. And we see that in three ways. We will be made new. We will see death die. And we will know that it matters. First, we will be made new. Those who have been rescued by Jesus will have new bodies in a new world. In verse 50 of our passage, Paul writes, I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. You see, the bodies that you and I have right now are broken. I mean, that's no mystery, right? Uh, Aaron mentioned Love KC, this, this missions opportunity, local missions opportunity that we took with our middle school and high school students the last uh, couple days. And I tell you what, I still think that I'm young, and, and I know I, I am young, but my body doesn't feel young. So I ran around with middle schoolers and high schoolers, and I don't have an off switch yet. If I get on that basketball court, I'm going to go hard. And so we feel this, right? We feel the brokenness and frailty of our bodies. But what this means is that we need new ones in order to enter the new world. Verses 35 through 49 of 1 Corinthians 15, immediately before the verse I just read, those verses describe this new body which is made for this new world. And this new world is what we call heaven. But here's the thing. Heaven... This new world that we're going to enter with our new bodies looks nothing like what most of us imagine it to be. And the problem is that our ideas of heaven have been shaped far more by the far side than they have from our Bibles. Now don't get me wrong, I love the far side. Uh, and here's one of my favorites, which I bought a magazine. And this is what we imagine, isn't it? First, if heaven even exists, it's this otherworldly place, this non-worldly place, a uh, few clouds, few streets of gold, but in no way, it doesn't even remotely connect to our current reality. And if we're being honest this morning, doesn't that make it a little bit unappealing that it doesn't connect in any way to our current reality? Your second, we imagine ourselves as mostly non-physical, or at least not really human anymore, hence the wind, right, and the halo. Or we see ourselves as ghosts floating around, right? Maybe we get to come back and haunt that really annoying co-worker, co-worker at the office, right? But again, is that really appealing? Isn't that just a loss of our identity to become something other than human? And finally, and, and this third thing flows out of the first two. It's going to be an eternity of lameness, which I brought a magazine, right? Again, I'll be the first one to say it, unappealing. Or maybe if you're super spiritual, you kind of imagine heaven as this never-ending worship service. When I was growing up, we used to sing this song that had a line in it. I could sing of your love forever. 
And I was convinced that in heaven, that was the only song we were ever going to sing. And it was the only line from that song that we were ever going to sing. I was like, ooh, I don't know. <laughs> With these types of ideas, is it any wonder that people have glorified hell? That they've made it into this place where they're just going to get to hang out and party with all of their friends. We desperately need a more robust understanding and vision of heaven. Because none of these things that we get from this picture in our culture are true. Yes, we are going to be given a new body, but it's going to be a physical, human body. The 2.0 version of this. We don't become angels, and that would actually be a step down, if you can believe it. We don't become angels. We remain human. Yes, the world in store for us is different, but it's earth remade, physical, and here, without the mess. Earth 2.0. Heaven comes to earth, and they become one. People, the physical world matters. God didn't come to simply save souls. He came to save people. God didn't come to simply save souls. He came to save people. And more than that, he came to make the whole world right. Hear me this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus, you will be raised and you will be given a new, remade body. Well, what will that body be like? Starting back in verse 35 of our passage, Paul says that it will be both like our current bodies and dislike them. Continuity and discontinuity. It's very similar to the same way that a seed is both like and dislike a plant. This is us right now. And there is a very real sense in which this seed needs to die and be buried before it can burst forth. Because then this will be who we will be. They're the same, right? But oh so different at the same time. Continuity and discontinuity. You will still be you. I will still be myself. Just as Jesus was still himself after he came back to life. Only better. Only better. And I stagger at the picture that Paul paints in verse 42 of our passage. Look back there with me. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Our current bodies are perishable, broken. Again, that's not a mystery to us. We see the decay in our faces and we feel the frailty in our bones. Our bodies, they peak around 20 years of age and then the next 60 years are entropy. That's depressing and sobering, I know, but I hope it drives us to this point. We desperately need new and remade bodies. Yeah, this discussion reminds me of one of my favorite television characters, Chris Traeger from the comedy Parks and Rec. And if you haven't watched that show, I would highly recommend it. You can borrow my Netflix password and just plow through it, binge watch it. It's really, really good. Uh, Chris Traeger, he's played by Rob Lowe, and his character is a health and fitness nut. And I think it's because, the show sort of hints at this, it's because he wants to live forever. Uh, we get a glimpse of that the first time we meet uh, this character. He, he comes on screen and he, he says, scientists believe that the first human who 
who's going to live 150 years, has already been born. Then he pauses, and he gets this kind of silly look on his face, and he goes, I believe I am that human. <laughs> right? It's funny, but it's true, right? For centuries, humans have been looking for ways to stop the decay. They've been looking for ways to stop the dying process that we know is coming. And, and yes, we've gotten a lot better at staying alive. But we haven't figured it out completely. Death is coming. Decay is coming. Our bodies are going to break down. But if you're with Jesus, then one day you're going to get a new one. One that is imperishable, Paul says. Now that word in the original language, it doesn't just mean that it won't go bad. It actually carries an even better meaning than that because it implies a continual state of improvement. Can you even imagine that? A continual state of improvement. Eternity with a body and mind that never stop getting better. From dishonor to glory, from mess to beauty, from weakness to power. We know well the struggle of trying to make our current bodies do what we want them to do. But with these new bodies, no more. And it's not just that the deaf will hear. Instead, music will take on a whole new life. It's not just that the blind will see. It's that we will take in new colors, new textures, new beauties. Friends, everything that you and I see, taste, and touch has been deeply tarnished and broken by sin. We have yet to experience what it means to be fully human. Now let that sink in for a moment. Imagine what we will, we will experience when everything, including us and our bodies, is new and remade without the tarnish of sin. Imagine that. Verse 51 of our passage. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Here, right now, we try to change. We agonize over change. And we fail often. But then, in an instant, you will be as God intended you to be. In an instant. The end is only the beginning. So let me ask you, are you being made new? Are you being made new even now? Because you see, the promise of new bodies is only for those who are with Christ Jesus. Those who have rejected Jesus will also be raised, but they will be raised to judgment and not to life. You have to give yourself to him. And when you do, when you do give yourself to him, then the recreation process begins now. Even now, in our decaying bodies, we are called new creations. That's one of the funniest lines in scripture to me. Because I don't feel that, right? We don't feel that. But we are called new creations. The cure has begun as we reject sin and cling to life. And as we eagerly anticipate the day when we will be given new bodies, new hearts, 
new lives for a new world. But wait a second, you might be thinking. All of this sounds great, but who's to say we're not just going to make the same mistake that Adam and Eve did in the garden? Who's to say that we won't start this messed up process all over again? And that's where Paul goes next. Not only will we be made new, but we will actually see death die. That's right. Paul says that we will see death die. In verses 53 and 54, Paul tells us that at the same time that we're receiving our new bodies, something else incredible will happen. Look back with me at the middle of verse 54. I'm sorry, 54 and 55. Paul writes, Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death is the enemy. Death is the enemy. It was the consequence of our rebellion back in the garden, and that enemy, death, is coming for each and every one of us. And the sting of death is sin. Sin is the poison we drink day in and day out. Another sip, another gulp. Whether you chug it or just try it, it's always lethal. And it will kill you even if it tastes good for a little while. And here Paul says, and it is slightly confusing at first, because he says that the law gives sin some of its power. Now the longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119, which extols the greatness of God's law. And so how do we reconcile this? What's going on here? Well, it's one thing to drink the poison unaware. But once someone tells you, hey, that's poison, you really should stop, and then you keep drinking it, then it's not just ignorance, it's willful rebellion. And while that scenario sounds ridiculous, who would keep drinking poison after they knew it was poison? When it comes to the sin... When it comes to the poison of sin, that's what we do every single day. The law is a good thing, if we could actually obey it. But what it ends up doing is it reveals how sinful we truly are. It shows us the depths of our brokenness. We're broken. We are sinful. You know it, and I know it. Sin is poison, and yet we keep on guzzling. Like an alcoholic searching for life at the end of a bottle, swallow after swallow after swallow. But thanks be to God, sin and death will be swallowed up in victory. That's the word that Paul uses there. And in the original language, swallow, it means to devour, to drown, to overwhelm. Sin and death will be swallowed up with a belch of satisfaction. You know, here, when, when Paul quotes, death is swallowed up in victory, he's actually uh, taking back from the, the prophet Isaiah from 700 years earlier. And in Isaiah chapter 25, uh, Paul, this is the passage that Paul pulls from. And Isaiah writes this. He says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, and he will swallow 
up on this mountain, the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. The Lord will swallow up the veil of death forever. The Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Incredible, isn't it? That vision of what it will one day be like. And Paul, he adds in, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Only through Jesus, because in the whole history of the world, he's the only one who has defeated death. And we may be so used to it that we've become desensitized, but that's the story of all time, isn't it? Jesus, the man who died and yet lived to tell about it? In fact, that's such a good story that it's been ripped off time and time again. What was Harry Potter's nickname? The boy who lived. Right? Jesus defeated, defeated death, which means that one day you and I will see the death of death. Can you imagine that with me? Is there any Sunday, more than a Sunday like today, with the tragedy happening in Charleston, where we need to believe that we are going to see the death of death? I know as I've reflected on these horrific and tragic events that I can't come up with another scenario where I need to cling more to the resurrection. And I need to cling more to the truth that we see in this passage that because Jesus has been raised and this is not in vain, one day we will see the death of death. We will see the death of death. Jesus defeated it. Which means we will see the death of death. The destruction of violence and war, the annihilation of cancer, Parkinson's disease and dementia, the end of lust and greed and abuse and senseless shootings and selfishness and depression and loneliness and all of it swallowed up and flushed on down. The death of death. It's almost too good to be true, isn't it? Almost too good to be true. And that's why I want to ask you this question this morning. Are you facing death with hope? Are you facing death with hope? The end is only the beginning. We will one day see the death of death. So are you facing it with hope? We are facing it. Whether we want to admit it or not, we're facing our own deaths and we're facing the deaths of those of everyone that we love. And yes, we grieve, right? Hope doesn't mean we don't grieve. And yes, we are afraid. Of course we are. But is your life characterized by hope? Characterized by hope. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great pastor who resisted the Nazis, he was 39 as he walked to the gallows. And he said these words, This is the end. For me, the beginning of life. You, many of you probably heard that Elizabeth Elliot just passed away this week. Elizabeth Elliot was the widow of Jim Elliot, the missionary who was killed at age 28 trying to bring the gospel to unreached people groups in Ecuador. You talk about a woman 
who felt the sting of death. And yet, her life was beautifully and incredibly characterized by hope. Christianity Today reprinted one of her articles that was originally published in 1969, titled, We Were Hoping. It's about the resurrection. It is wonderfully written, and I would highly recommend looking it up and reading all of it. But she closes the article with these words. She writes, If resurrection is a fact, then there is no situation so hopeless, no horizon so black, that God cannot there find his glory. The truth is that without the, those ruined hopes, without the death, without the suffering that is called inevitable, the glory itself would be impossible. And when we find ourselves most hopeless, the road most taxing, we may also find that is, is then, we may also find that it is then that the risen Christ catches up to us on the way, better than our dreams, beyond all of our hopes. For it is he, not his gifts, not his power, not what he can do for us, but he himself who comes and makes himself known to us. So let me ask you again, are you facing death with hope? Are you facing death with the risen Christ next to your side? If not, why not? At this point, you might be thinking that I didn't deliver on my promise, that this message has been too much pie in the sky, right? Yeah, that might be good. It might be something to look forward to if we're right. But how does this have any bearing or impact on the today? And that's why the last verse of chapter 15 is so important. If Jesus has risen from the dead, then we will know it is not in vain. If he has risen from the dead, we will know it is not in vain. As I was reading this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, several months ago, as we were preparing for this sermon series, I got to the end of chapter 15, and I was just so surprised. He has this long 50-plus verse chapter on the resurrection, and then it's almost like out of nowhere, he writes this in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So, wait a second. He's talking about the resurrection, and there's this immediate pivot in verse 58 to talk about labor and work. And I love this because I think it's so important. Paul is saying here, your life and your work are not in vain. Right here and right now matters, and actually the resurrection gives it meaning. The resurrection gives the here and now, the physical world, your work, my work, meaning. It breathes life into what we do every single day. But this also means that the opposite is true. If this is just a fairy tale, if death is the end, then tragically nothing would matter. If it all just ends, then where's the meaning? So one final question, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're age 8 or age 88, are you seeing life through a forever lens? Are you seeing your life through a forever lens? Abound in the work of the Lord, Paul says in this verse. And I think that this makes us think of all the spiritual things that we should be doing, right? Reading our Bibles, praying, evangelizing our neighbors. But listen, 
all of life is spiritual. I love how New Testament scholar and professor N.T. Wright puts it. What you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, all of this will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable, until the day when we leave it all behind. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. I mean, think about it, right? Before God told us to do any of those spiritual things, he put us in the garden and he told us to work it, to create and to cultivate. And when asked what the two most important commands are in the entire Old Testament, Jesus answers with love God and love others. That's the work of the Lord, loving God and loving others. And for most of us, the place where we will do that most is at our work, is at our job, whether you get paid for it or not, whether you enjoy them or not. Whether it's being a parent, an office worker, or a student, or a pastor, loving God and loving people is God's work, and the resurrection means that that work is not in vain. In fact, the primary work of the church doesn't take place within these walls. The primary work of the church is the church, you, scattered at work. The primary work of the church is the church at work. And again, it's not meaningless. Your work will last. If God is going to remake this world and remake these bodies, then the things that we do in this world with these bodies matter. And it matters forever. So are you seeing your life through a forever lens? The end is only the beginning. Your end is only your beginning. We will be made new. We will see death die. And we will know that it is not in vain. You know, I think that one of the best pictures of what we've been talking about this morning comes from the book, The Lord of the Rings. At the very end of the story, when it's all made new, that's our story too, right? J.R. Tolkien, he writes from our vantage point, sacrifice and hope, the swallowing up of all that is evil, the death of death. Listen to these words from the end of the Lord of the Rings. Full memory flooded back, and Sam cried aloud. It wasn't a dream. Then where are we? And a voice spoke softly behind him. In the land of the king, and he awaits you. With that, Gandalf stood before him, robed in white, his beard now gleaming like pure snow. Well, Master Samwise, how do you feel? he said. But Sam lay back and stared with open mouth, and for a moment, between bewilderment and great joy, he could not answer. At last, he gasped. Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? 
What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed, and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as Sam listened, the thought came to him that he had not heard laughter for days upon days without count. It fell upon his ears like the echo of all the joys he had ever known. How do I feel? cried Sam. Well, I don't know how to say it. I feel, I feel he waved his arms in the air. I feel like spring after winter and sun on the leaves and like all the songs I have ever heard. And Sam laughed aloud for sheer delight. And he stood up and he cried, Oh, great glory and splendor, and all my wishes have come true. All my wishes have come true. Everything wrong made right in the presence forever of the one who died but lives. New bodies in a new world. Oh, yeah, but that's just a silly story, isn't it? Is it? Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we believe that that depiction is not just a silly story, but that is a description of what you are going to do.